Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is youth director and horse whisperer, Daniel Rye. President and earwig murderer Scott Reed. That's true. Yes. Ooh. I killed two just last night. How is the war? Mm. It's, I don't know. I think we're going to, well, I assume Marcia and Dave Beard don't listen to this. We're going to get a bug bomb. Okay. <laughs> set it off in the house. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, how are the horses? They're doing great. Okay. Are you going to get a horse bomb? A horse bomb? Set it off in the house. No, I'm going to keep them all and send them out. I like it. An associate pastor and polo model, Bill Muffin Cow. Muffin Man. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, would you pray for us to start the show? Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for this space and us just being able to talk and learn more about you. I pray that everything that we're able to discuss would... Uh, honor and glorify you and that you would be with our listeners whenever they're listening to this um, that you would bless their day as well in Jesus name we pray amen 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 uh, Scott you have any would you rather questions I do all right um, Daniel give me a number between zero and wait one to 39 one to 39 <laughs> zero well, to 40 non-inclusive <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna choose nine. Nine is your option. All right. So that means that you're gonna get <laughs> the pain, fear, and discomfort. <laughs> what is the system that you're using, Scott? <laughs> it's a secret. I'll explain it when we're done. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're gonna get the pain, fear, and discomfort category, and uh, we're going back to getting three separate options and ranking them. Ooh, all right. Okay? All right. And uh, so you're going to get the pain, fear, and discomfort category, and you're going to get the first option from each of these questions. Uh, so your three options are, would you rather, and again, since this is your first time doing this particular version of this game, I'm going to give you three options, and you're going to say which one you would most like to do, least like to do, and then the one that's in the middle. Yep. Okay. Um, would you rather be forced to go through a cycle in a large clothes dryer along with five pairs of football cleats? It's very fitting. <laughs> mm. Or wear a motorcycle helmet to bed every night or have to wear your shoes on the wrong feet. This is probably like one of the most balanced ones. I, I think, think so. So far. Yeah. Um, I would go with um, shoes on the wrong feet mm. as the one I'd most like okay. to do. Um. Being in the dryer with uh, the football cleats, least would not want to do that. <laughs> Especially if it's my dryer that uh, burns really hot. You don't, even, you don't need the football cleats in there for that to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the middle one is um, shoes on the wrong side of the feet. Mm. Wait, wait. Shoes, shoes on the wrong, wrong side, side of the feet was your favorite one. Oh, that was the my motorcycle favorite. helmet. The motorcycle helmet. helmet. That's in the middle. That's in the middle. Ooh. That's in the middle. I All could right. do wonders for your hair. I think the the shoes on the wrong feet thing could work if you just get big enough shoes. I don't think True. it becomes an issue. I mean, you're not going to run anywhere, but that's okay. Yeah. Who needs to run? Yeah. Uh, all right, Max. Give me a number between Wait. zero and... <laughs> when I was a little, like, three- or four-year-old kid, I had friends over, and we were playing. So I, I crawled inside our dryer. Oh. And the door got shut, and my oh, finger no. got caught in those <gasps> holes. So thankfully, oh, I said to my friends... Go upstairs and get my mom. 
So my mom and dad come running down the stairs, and boy, they're really upset. You know, you could have gotten killed that way. You know, if they would have yeah. hit the wrong button, because I was trying to get them to open the latch, you know, which uh, was another button. You, you know, you would have been toast in there. I thought, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's terrifying. Uh, Here's a fun fact. Yeah. In the original Lilo and Stitch movie, yes. there's a scene where where Lilo is hiding from her older sister and she crawls into a, a dryer. And then this thing happens and, and her older sister tricks her and catches her. Uh, but then they like read, I don't know, drew the scene so that she's hiding in like a cabinet or something. Like a stack of pizza boxes or something. Yeah. So something different so mm. that kids wouldn't hide in drawers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, all right, Max. Ah, you to save the Bill Calvins of the world. Are going to yeah, give me a number? Hey, you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> What's even in there? <laughs> Who knows Pizza. what you can find? Pizza. All right, Max. You're going to give me a number between zero and thirty, non-inclusive. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. All right. So you're going to get. I love the... this arcane process by which you select the questions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes more sense when I when I explain it. Yeah. Uh, so you got the random category. Finally. And you're also getting the first. Uh, of each option. Perfect. So would you rather be able to walk on water forever? Whoa. Which makes more sense in the context of the second half of that question, which you won't get to hear. Or be tone deaf. Or if your life depended on victory, have to run a 100-yard race against a sixth grader. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Okay, so uh, uh, clarify something for me. Uh, is the sixth grader randomly selected or is it selected intentionally, but I don't get to know who the sixth grader is? Well, the other option is an 11 year old dog. So I think it's like given the assumption that like you should be able to beat this person, but also your life depends on it. Wow. Okay. So, so I, it's, it's random. I think that's fair. A uh, hundred yards. Yep. A hundred yards is rough. I wish it was longer. I wish it was like a quarter mile. Here's the thing. Uh, can you read the read the last one for me? Just just one more time. If your life depended on victory, yes. you have to run a 100 yard race against a sixth grader. Yeah. So I will definitely take uh, walk on water forever as, as my favorite uh, because there's no downside unless, unless it's involuntary. <laughs> like water becomes concrete to me, yeah. and when I shower, it's just the most painful experience. <laughs> um, but assuming that that's not the case, uh, that would be great. Um, Followed by my second will be uh, the race against the sixth grader. Now, I realize I don't gain anything by beating the sixth grader, but because there's no stipulations that say there is any rules of any kind, there's nothing stopping me from tackling the sixth grader or even picking up the sixth grader and carrying them with me and then throwing them over my shoulder as I approach the finish line. <laughs> so like, I think I'd be fine if I couldn't beat, the, if I like size them up and I'm like, he seems quicker than me. I could always just like, at, as the race begins, just grab him carry him around uh and then uh and then i'll go tone deaf right. um i like singing cool i like singing and i like singing to myself mm-hmm. uh though many of the people i know who are tone deaf like don't really care like when they sing to themselves like it's not like they're like I guess oh they i sound so bad i don't know the difference that's right so that's not bad if you're really tone deaf yeah all right bill give me a number between zero and 20 non-inclusive i'd like to say what kind of crazy sixth grader like their life is probably not on the line they're just like, will yeah. you run against this man? And if you win, he dies. <laughs> and they're like, yes, this will be great for my book report. <laughs> this kid sounds like a sociopath. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about a kid named Nick Dimoff that I went to school with. I didn't know him in sixth grade, but by eighth grade, he ran a 10.300 yard dash. Whoa. Which would have won a lot of high school track meets, and he was in eighth grade. So you could. 
get up against true lightning because um, he, he was he was on the he was on the peewee football team and they would change his jersey number so that because the other team was just looking out for really him. keying on him yeah wow. man wow yeah he was about the fastest little kid out there um, that would yeah. be a problem yeah that would be, a problem. That would be an issue Mm-hmm. I think okay, I'm point, sorry. I, I've got my number eleven and one third. Eleven. And one <laughs> Here third. we go. Way to play right. into it. The one third makes no difference. All right. So you get <laughs> ethics try. and intellects, and you also get the first answer from each question. Man. So your three options are: be so smart that you went to college at age thirteen, or Ooh. have a scandal named after you, like Monica Gate. But mm. it doesn't have to be of that same nature. It's just I some kind Monica of scandal. Gate? I've never heard it called. I haven't either. In my but, life. But some kind of you know like. Watergate or deflate. This is referring to Monica from Friends. <laughs> Naturally. Oh, yeah. yes. But uh <laughs> but it doesn't matter what the scandal is, but it's named after you. So the Bill Calvin Gate. The Calvin um, Gate. Or rip a garment while trying it on and swear you found it that way. <laughs> so would you rather be so smart that you went to college at age thirteen or have a scandal named after you or have to lie to a store clerk? Well, I'm <clears throat> Going to college would be a good thing, so that's my favorite thing. <laughs> the lying to a clerk is wrong, but I'd rather have that than all the wrong that would lead to having a scandal name for me. Mm, fair mm. enough. I think that's fair. fair if the yeah. if the choices were different, I would not be surprised to hear you say, like, you know, going to college at the age of thirteen could really mess you up. You're just not ready. I oh, it is. Oh, golly, it'd be hard. <laughs> it'd be hard to be that smart in life. Yeah. Yeah. True. You'd be yeah. bored all the time. Well, the other option is go through high school normally. Without ever being remotely challenged academically, so wow, I already lived right out. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in both, and I think maybe you're assuming the same level of intelligence. Of intelligence but it's like either are you, you go to college at 13, or mm. you just be bored. Is Nancy bored all the time? Bill? I wasn't challenged because of smartness. Oh, I was, I was just so bored. They just couldn't. I just was not being connected with at all. Mm. Wow. And I look back at it and think, huh. Yeah, I went to a pretty crummy high school. Um, <laughs> what high school did you go to? Kenmore High. Kenmore High. This one's for you, yeah. uh, Daniel. What would the scandal that Bill got named for uh, be? Running gate. Ooh, Calvin Gate involves running. It does. Yeah. It involves picking up a sixth grader in a hundred yard. <laughs> that's <race> Terman Gate <laughs> and throwing them over your shoulder. And I don't think that's a scandal if it's in self defense. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, Daniel. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, you get I to guess. go. What yeah, number are you going to pick? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, tell me what number and then I'll tell you what you get. He's taking the leftover. Well, you don't even. Yeah, I'm taking the last category. Okay. And I'm just going to do also the first one to keep it Because everyone else did the first. Did the first. I really want to know what the first, what the second one was of my walking on water. It was fly for three hours on three different occasions in your life. Oh, no. Yeah. I know, Absolutely walk. All right. Water. So would I rather Can get I drive trapped? on water? No, just walk. Uh, would I rather get <laughs> trapped under heavy weights while bench pressing at a crowded gym or as a waiter spill lasagna and red wine all over the tablecloth and a patron... A patron's formal dinner dress, oh. or have a blue tongue. Mm. I'll start with a blue tongue. I think that could that, be that's, yeah. that's the yeah. That's, that's your in in cool. the ministry. Yeah, <laughs> the move. Check this out. 
Scott, the blue tongue reed. <laughs> it's blue. So you know you can trust me. <laughs> Jesus died for this tongue. Um, and then I think I would then go with the waiter spilling lasagna and red wine all over the tablecloth. Because, like, probably that's not the job I want to have forever anyway. And then the last one would be getting trapped under heavy weights because that's embarrassing and also probably painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my order. So the way that the system worked is that there were four categories. Yeah. And the first letter... Zero to three for Daniel, and then zero to two, and then zero. Right. Determined which category you chose, and yeah. then whether the second letter was even or odd determined which of the two options you got. Ooh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have a much simpler uh, system for the following segment. Daniel, will you give me a number between zero and a thousand and one? <laughs> That's a simpler system. Inclusive, not zero. One to a thousand and one, inclusive. I mean, you could read the forward. <laughs> That would be hysterical. <laughs> what do you guys think about... I don't even know if there is a forward. There isn't. He just gets right into it. He gets right into Jay it. J. Stephen Lang doesn't waste your time. <laughs> I'm not even sure there's a copyright. Who, where did I get this book? <laughs> uh, Angel Morona gave it to Oh, my word. Don't bring them... That's the Mormons, right? Yeah. Yes. Don't bring them into this. We have That's enough, hilarious. have enough episodes about the Mormons. <laughs> Have you done 459? 459. Uh, no. Well, maybe. I guess we'll find out. Uh, this, of course, comes to us from uh, uh, 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible But Never Thought to Ask by Cleveland Indians relief pitcher J. Stephen Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, I, I cannot for the life of me remember what Dan asked. Like, Dan asked you what the name was, and you said... Uh, oh, you like, said, like, F. James. It was, like, F. Oh, Stephen... Yeah. Starkowski or something. <laughs> uh, I think we've actually done this one, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, 459, it comes to us from notable people alphabetically. Felix and Festus. Uh, I think we've done I just read their names. Why would I read their names? You're going to be the first person I ask a question to. Felix was governor of Judea after Pilate, and the apostle Paul was brought before him for trial. Paul defended himself and his faith eloquently, and Felix thought enough of Paul to allow him to have visitors. But Felix was notoriously corrupt, and he hesitated to free or condemn Paul, hoping someone would offer him a bribe to release Paul. Felix's successor, Festus, was more honorable. He believed Paul was a good man, but as Paul spoke about his faith, Festus responded, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Acts 26, 24. Had Paul not insisted on having a trial in Rome, his right as a Roman citizen, Festus would have had him released. Um, What, I mean, what have you, where did you hear it recently? Oh, I read it today. Um, I was trying to remember if it was in the Bible commentary I'm reading or if it was in the book I'm reading and it was in the book I'm reading. Um, it was an interesting, it was a, it was in surprise by scripture by N.T. Wright. Mm. And it was a chapter called your politics are too small. Ooh. Um, and I only read like the, the tail end of it today. I started it like a, last week and I just had to finish it today. But the part that I read today had this really interesting, I wish I had it with me so I can read some of the things that he said, but this really interesting kind of like proposal about, political leaders and like their role and he basically just like flat out says like the creation work that god did in genesis 1 was bringing order out of chaos and so the work of rulers is to continue that order mm-hmm. um and he says like even you know even when they they don't know god and they do things that are opposed to to him like they're still kind of serving his purpose in that way they talked about the role of the church in like basically calling out rulers. Hmm. Um, so it's like this, this it's rejecting the dualism of like 
I'm not like politics and, and faith are like totally separate things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then instead kind of having this like integrated thing of like respecting the ruler and also calling them out for the things that they're doing wrong, hmm. uh, which was a really interesting kind yeah. of take on, on mm-hmm. like the idea of like constituted authority and the church's role. And like, and he talked about how like, you know, historically when the church does that, it usually ends in martyrdom and he talked to, or it often ends in martyrdom. And he talked about like the significance of martyrdom and, and I'm like, huh, I don't think that, uh, that we uh, necessarily are doing that in, in like, productive ways sure Uh, Mm. i feel like the church is either like often just kind of like going along with it or like or just kind of like whining about things as opposed to like and i and i left the chapter being like okay like how do we do that and Mm -hmm. i don't know i wish i could ask Mm -hmm. him um because like does that mean like okay the local church does on like a local level does that mean that like you know central offices of whole denominations do it on like a national level does it mean that some one pastor like stands up and is like, Mr. President, like, I don't know. <laughs> I really be interested to hear what he has to say about how this works. But yeah. so he was, he was saying like, even in, he, you know, with uh Pilate and Felix and Festus and Herod Agrippa, this was true. So that was why I had read their names. Oh, hmm. one of the things you, you, you talked about like God making, um, you know, order out of chaos, uh, which this is not necessarily related, but it is something that came up in my devotion yesterday from Psalm 98, no, 89, um, where uh, the psalmist uh, talks about Rahab, uh, the uh, sea serpent, uh, the sea monster that represents chaos in uh, ancient literature, according to my Bible's notes. Um, and if the psalmist is writing that, that comes after uh, Rahab's appearance in Joshua, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, that made me wonder if Rahab was na- Rahab the prostitute was named for this ancient sea monster that represents chaos. Mm-hmm. It's like her; she's living in this city that's just a complete degeneracy, and her parents name her after the sea monster that represents chaos. <laughs> um, but she, I always forget that she's part of the gene, uh, genealogy of, of Jesus, um, ultimately, mm-hmm. and that she's like Boaz's grandmother, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, and then there's like the idea that something that represented a name that represented chaos, mm-hmm. like, is grafted into like God's family. Mm-hmm. It's like crazy. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I really do like the idea. And, like, a lot of what the Bible Project shares and, like, talks about is how God um, took that chaos and made order out of it. And, like, when he commissioned Adam and Eve to, like, be fruitful and multiply, he's, like, asking them to partake in that Mm. as well. So, like, it's really cool to see and thinking about it as our leaders are also accountable to, like, continuing this order. And when they're not, then, like, that's a bad thing. And we see that throughout the Bible of all the leaders who, like, sow and reap chaos. Yeah. It doesn't end well for them. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what happened, um, going back to, to Festus, you know, we don't know what happened to Paul in the long term, right? There's no, uh, do we know for certain what happened to him, like, at the end of his time in Rome? Was he executed? Was he, mm-hmm. he was executed. That's not in the Bible, though, right? Well, he couldn't write about it. 
<laughs> guess that's true. Fair enough. Bill, do you know how we know that Paul was executed? Well, Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's something called the tradition, which comes out of the church fathers a lot of times. Yeah. It's not 100% accurate like the Bible, but it's it's pretty good. And if it gets corroborated by several of them, then you really take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like Peter and Paul were both like, when the, like the big C, like the Catholic church, um, they were both connected to Rome because they were both martyred there. But then like, then the Catholic church ended up like claiming that Peter had the throne. Right. Like for the papacy and all of that. Yeah. Too. So I think seeing that linking of Peter and Paul in Rome also like kind of supports that. Yeah. Uh, let's get into topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by Monday Night Men. What do you want, Daniel? Seriously, what do you want? Is it a what? Is it a who? Maybe it's a state of mind. Are you sure it's what you really want? Jesus challenged our assumptions about what is valuable and what is not, and he pointed us toward a different kind of wanting. If you follow him, you'll pursue that which is of greatest value. So what do you want? Let's figure it out together. Monday Night Men, Monday nights at 7 p.m. in the Coffee House. For more information, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash men. Yes, Daniel. I was going to make a SpongeBob reference a now spon- that we're men. <laughs> uh, for topic of the week this week, we're returning to an old favorite, the Heidelberg Catechism. Bill, can you remind us what uh, the point of a catechism is? To teach. And how does it do that? Question and answer. And the opening question of the Heidelberg Catechism is what must we know? to live and die in the joy of the comfort of Jesus Christ? And the answer is uh, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And the rest of the catechism is divided into these three sections, exploring those three main ideas. And last time, uh, we discussed our sin and misery, part one. Uh, And today, it is time to talk about how we are set free uh, and you guys have brought a Q&A pair to discuss. Um, does anybody want to go first? Scott? I'll go first because I chose the first question. Hey. So <clears throat> the first question in part two uh, says, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? The answer is God requires that his justice be satisfied Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Um, And the reason I chose this is because that question and answer uh, really brought to mind, I think I maybe brought it up on the podcast before, but I can't remember, Um, brought to mind this this verse in Romans 3. There was this this time, like, I think it was at the beginning of last year, um, when I was reading Romans, I read through Romans, and I was reading Romans 3, and I, like, finished it. And I was just like, what did I just read? <laughs> like, mm. Because Paul, you know, Paul kind of jumps around sometimes in the way that he writes, but I don't think that it's ever, I mean, Paul was an incredibly smart, educated guy. I don't think that it's ever like non sequiturs. I think it's always ideas that are connected or at least almost always, um, especially like within one, 
you know, when he's not just like, and also say hi to Timothy. Like that's obviously kind of a non sequitur, but like, <laughs> you know, within the context of just like this one stretch of passage, it's like, okay, what is happening here? So I went back to try and really kind of piece through it. And in that, I found this verse that I had never noticed before, uh, which I really, really liked, uh, which is Romans three. I'll just read 21 to 26. Um, so before this, Paul was talking kind of about the law Uh, And he says, um, the law says it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So it's kind of this, like, looking back at the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament system, and just, like, how not hopeless it was, because, of course, there was hope in God, but how, like, unable the Old Covenant was to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, render people righteous before God. Yeah. And he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It was like before, that's how we knew God's righteousness was through the law, which like condemned us. So God's righteousness was kind of like beautiful in what it was, but also condemning to us. And so, so but now it's been manifested apart from the law. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this is the, the sentence that just really grabbed me back in the day, which is, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Mm-hmm. Um it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what I really think is so interesting about that is that if Jesus never came and history proceeded through the Old Testament in the way that it did, um, what this verse is saying is that God would not be righteous or just. Hmm. Jesus' death came and proved his righteousness and his justice because up until that point, it says, uh, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Hmm. And so when we look at what happened, you know, with Adam and Eve and, and the fall and the serpent and, you know, God says you will die, and then they don't die, and it was mm. kind of like, well, what the heck? Uh, and there's you know spiritual death that happens at that point, of course. But but then really, if God were 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 just just and yeah. you know not loving and merciful, but it was just divine judgment and justice all the time, then like as soon as you sin, like you'd be you'd gone. Die. Yeah. Um, but in His divine forbearance, He passed over these sins. Um, Interesting, you know, same languages, at least in English, as, you know, the Passover and and Exodus and all. Mm -hmm. Um, He passed over these sins, uh, which could cause us to question his righteousness, but then his righteousness was was shown in Jesus Christ on the cross. Mm. Um, and I just, this this question in the Heidelberg Catechism made me think of that idea that according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? It's like God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. And there Romans 3 says, like, for a long, long time, uh, a, a, a purely objective a uh, bystander might have said, like, okay, well, like, what the heck? No one's paying this in full. Like, what's right. going on, God? Are you really just? Right. But Romans 3 says, like, yes, and Jesus on the cross proved it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love Romans 3 and, and that little section in particular because I think it's so interesting yeah. um, the way that it kind of paints Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And I think it helps answer the question as well of, like, well, you know, Jesus is the reason why we can continue to live. Jesus is the reason why we have the opportunity to turn back. 
um, and, and to repent. And Jesus is the reason why in the Old Testament they were allowed to to carry on towards the the covenant, right, with the mistakes that Abraham makes, the mistakes that Jacob makes, the mistakes that, that all of them make. Um, you know, Jesus is what allows them, God, uh, to pass over. And like you said, that that's Jesus is what proves that God is, is just. Um, and also in 8, uh, Romans 8, uh, what's the verse I have here? 3? God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice. And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Um, and so like that's sort of that all in encompassing grace um, is what allows us to keep moving forward and allows us to have the chance to repent. And it's also interesting because I think when I think about the Israelites like going into exile and all of the prophecies and all of the um, psalms that talk about God's punishment of his people, right, in the Old Testament and sort of those things that make him uh, sometimes in, in pop culture, the God of the Old Testament is this very angry jerk. Um, but it's it kind of makes the point that like, look, that's that wasn't even full justice. Like they were still allowed to come back to him. They were still, he was still overlooking their, their sins uh, in the, in the short term um, when he sent them into exile or, or things like that. Um, and that Jesus is what allows that to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, um, I've been reading through Genesis and kind of with a, a commentary as we do the Genesis series in church and uh, one thing that um, the commentary pointed out that was really interesting was that even in God's um, judgments on Adam and Eve, he exhibited like great mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wish I had uh, Matthew Henry's exact wording because the way he, he phrased it was really cool. But basically he was like, you know, when you look at what Adam experiences, like God God says, you know, you um, the, the ground is cursed because of you. He doesn't even say you're cursed. He says the ground is cursed. Uh, whereas like with, uh, with the serpent, he says, um, you are cursed. But for Adam, he says the ground is cursed. So, like there's one mercy. Um, and, uh, and then it says, uh, you shall eat the plants of the field. So he's not going to be able to eat the fruit of the garden anymore, but he'll eat the plants of the field, but he still gets to eat. Um, mm. and, uh, and by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for, you know, he still gets to work. Um, which like we might not see as like a great thing, but that was part of his initial creation and he can still do that. It's just going to be harder. Mm-hmm. And like, he could just be in hell, but, uh, God exhibited great mercy to him and just took him out of the garden. Um, so it's just, yeah, God is from the very beginning, God was showing mercy. And, and of course God had his eye on, on, on Jesus coming and in the cross, uh, even mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, God also, kills an animal and makes clothing for Adam and Eve. So there is mercy right in the middle of the wrath. Yeah. 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 And creation is against its will made broken because of the sins of man. Um, And yet it is allowed to continue as well, even as, you know, the, Mm -hmm. uh, it fights against humanity and hurts God's children. Like, Creation is also groaning and waiting for mm-hmm. when it's made new and redeemed. Yeah, I really like um, Exodus 34. Mm. Um, it really like kind of picks up this theme. This is like right after um, Israelites have like made the golden calf and 
Moses goes back up to make the new tablet. And as the Lord is like passing over Moses, he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Mm. And that like that description of who God is like is like picked up throughout the old Testament, even to the point of like in Jonah in like chapter four, he's talking about why he didn't want to go to Nineveh because Jonah knew that God was this God who was slow to anger and had this steadfast love. And he knew that God would do what God does Mm -hmm. and he didn't want that for Nineveh. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't want that for the people he hated. Yeah. Which, man, I relate to that. <laughs> like, yeah. Those people are going to repent. I don't want to see them repent. I hate them. <laughs> uh, I don't want them to be forgiven. I've worked so hard. Um, man. Daniel, do you want to share yours? Yeah. So I choose. I chose the question 20. It's right under the Lord's Day, like, 7. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? And the answer is no. Only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accepted all his benefits. Mm. Um, and I was really excited when I like saw the different like questions we could do. And I saw this one because this past Monday during class, we were, we're going over the doctrine of sin. Mm. And we were talking about the idea of like, why is it important to study like and understand what sin is? Because understanding what sin is like helps us understand what it means to be saved. Mm. And like, if you, if you have this idea of just being saved and like, what does that mean? If you don't have a full grasp of what sin does and what it is. And I thought that was great. And um, I think this idea of Adam and Christ like really demonstrates that like, well of how like we through adam we were all into sin and we all perpetuate sin because we like sin every day and like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god um but then it's like it's different it's different in the same that like that doesn't mean we're all saved like immediately because of what christ did but because of what christ did we can be saved Mm. And one thing that, like, I was kind of, like, wrestling with was the idea that, like, on both spectrums here, it's nothing in particular that we did. Like, we weren't there with Adam when he sinned. We weren't there. We weren't like Christ and we ourselves lived a perfect life and died. But we also partake in both of them. Mm. Um and the passage that, like, really, I think, points to this um, is in Romans chapter chapter 5, verse 12. Um, and it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And I think it's important to know that, like, there is a step that we have to take. Hmm. It's not just we can we can rely on what Christ did, but there's this action. We need to receive this gift. Um, and I think that was, like, so it really stood out to me, just this idea that we we could just fall into this trap, this idea that because because Christ has done what he has done, like we can just rely, like rely on that right away and like not have to have faith in him because he, he saved, he paid the price. So then like, we're good. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we have to do, but that's false. Mm. Like we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And like, that's like the whole reason for what he came for, for, and the idea of him being the new and better Adam, I think is, yeah. it just, I think, ties together the story. Like, Chelsea and I have been really focusing on um, describing the Bible as this one redemptive story that leads to Jesus. Um, as we're walking the teens through the Old Testament, as we're in the Foundation Series 2 and continuing through the Old Testament for the majority of this school year, um, I think like this really just spoke to me of like how important this is of knowing that we need to know the whole story because it leads to Christ and what he has done for us. I love the choice. I love that when I first heard the question, I was like, oh, the answer is yes. And it's just immediately like, no, it's not for, it's not automatically for everyone. It mm-hmm. is a choice uh, that we still have the, the responsibility to make, um, which is, obviously just such a core and mm-hmm. key part of uh, of our faith, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it really does show that, like, because there is the idea that sin is something that, like, we didn't start. We didn't bring in sin. Right. But we also choose to sin. Mm. We didn't bring about our own salvation, but we also have to choose to follow Jesus. Mm. So it's like this both, both and of the picture, the broad picture of sin and salvation and like how we understand both of those. Yeah. Other thoughts on that question? I thought that was a good explanation, Daniel. Yeah. Well, it it helped a lot that we're going over this in class right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you learned well. So it was, it was fresh on the mind. Dr. Woodbridge would be proud. (laughs) So what's the name of the class? This is my theology, theology two class. Okay. um, With Dr. Kevin Van Hooser. Mm. So he's, it's like crazy. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's been enjoyable and yeah, it's like really pushing me to really make that connection between sin and salvation because Mm -hmm. I've never really, like I knew that they were connected, but I've never really understood the importance of like the claim you make about how sin works directly affects the claim of like how salvation like works out and what salvation is Mm -hmm. Um, because salvation is the answer to the problem of sin. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just blown away by that. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah. So I saw my opportunity to like <laughs> use what I just learned um, when I came on here. So it reminds me of what Scott you said about delighting in the Trinity, the book um, about uh, how we define God is just like mm. fundamental to to who we are, right? So if we define mm. him as the creator, like a creator has to have a creation or else he's nothing, right? So God isn't just the creator, like so what is he and and coming mm. to that conclusion of like he is everything he needs. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like he is inherently in relation with himself, and we are not necessary to that equation. And that's what makes his love such a miracle. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that reminds me of that quite a bit. Yeah. It's a great book. <laughs> really, really good. Bill? You wanna... I'm thinking about sin and salvation. When I went to seminary, Dr. Feinberg said, All right, sin and salvation. Don't go heavy into the field work on sin. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do any market research. (laughs) Oh, man. So my question was number 22 and 3. What then must a Christian believe? And the answer is all that is promised us in the gospel. And that word all just jumped out at me. All that is promised us in the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I love that because... It's making clear you don't get to pick and choose what you believe as a Christian. Mm-hmm. You got to believe the whole message mm-hmm. of the scriptures. Yeah. All the commandments, all that you see in the New Testament especially. You, you just got to believe that. And if you don't, then you really have to question, am I a Christian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in in our own society today, what Christian society I'm speaking of, People aren't really buying into remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because yeah. church attendance is typically 50% of whatever your church membership and adherence are, mm-hmm. just all the way across the board. And in some churches, it's even worse. It's maybe 20%, 10%, I think. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. And then do not commit adultery. Well, with those sexual sins, now it's so common for people to live together mm-hmm. and come to church and just write it right in the guest book. You know? Joe and Jane, two different last names, same address. Mm-hmm. That was just unheard of not that long ago. Sure. In fact, they wouldn't do it when I first came to this church. No, nope, they wouldn't they wouldn't write that in the guest book. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's just so much more brazen. Yeah. And when we do premarital counseling, we just assume the couple's living together. Wow. That they mm-hmm. They have to tell us that they're not living together for us to even believe it. What is that like? Like, what, does that change the way you do premarital counseling? Well, we want them to get married, right? So it's not. It used to be a deal breaker. It's like mm-hmm. you know, if you're gonna live together, we're, just don't bother. Yeah. But now it's all right. You're living together. You're six months away from getting married. We just forge ahead. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal, but it's better than... I don't want the church turning their back on these people and saying, right. well, right. they condemned me for living together, but then they wouldn't marry us. Because yeah. it makes mm-hmm. it look like we put them in a catch-22 situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now there's this new thing going on. People don't even want to be married at church. Even the people that go to church don't want to be married at church. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting, and it's happened particularly because of COVID. Hmm. That what good's a church? You maybe only going to let twenty people in the building, or 
we've got to social distance so much that it's creepy. We'd rather just get married closer to where the reception is mm. or at the reception hall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's making me wonder, will we see church weddings in a big way again? Mm. Even with free weddings at our church, will, will they, will they manifest themselves? Yeah. What you said about, you know, that sort of catch 22 situation was something that kind of came into my mind when Scott, you were talking about NT Wright and what he said about, you know, the, um, job of the, of the church and, and of individual Christians to be to, um, to both respect and stand up to criticize and to, and to follow. And, um, and, you know, when I think politically about the biggest social issues that divide, you know, the United States, it's like, well, to Bill's point, like, you know, how can we, uh, as, oh man, I wish I had the, I wish I remembered it off the top of my head. I think it's 12. I think it's Romans 12 where he says, uh, to continue to don't, uh, don't falsely love people, but truly love them, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Um, like, you know, if somebody has, uh, if, if a, if a woman has had an abortion, like how do we not abandon that person, mm-hmm. um, whose life is forever going to be different because of that? Um, how do we not, you know, abandon them? How do somebody who is thinking about it, how do we make it so that that's not, you know, the only viable option for them to continue to survive for couples who are living together? How do we, mm-hmm. um, you know, continue to, to push against evil and to have the Holy spirit, like dispel it. And also, you know, cling to the people that we, that, that God loves and that Jesus died for and convict while loving and, um, man, I mean, that's a conversation that I'm really happy to be having because I I do think that that's as much as I hate to see like couples living together super consistently in the church. um, And it obviously kind of boggles my mind a little bit, but um, that's just like the background I come from, (laughs) admittedly. Um, Well, in the Bible, when I was listening to it today, very bluntly, it says, flee all appearance of sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the appearance good yeah what passage is that i i think it might have been ephesians i listened to three or four of them all together in the same hour and that's why i can't keep them straight man i mean that's just you know changing hearts is like what jesus came to do and you know i've i've talked on the show before about my personal struggles throughout my life of of kicking people out of my life when they let me down or kicking people out of my life when I felt like their sins were too much for for me to continue to love them because it hurt too much or whatever. Um, and uh, I've just been so convicted over the last year plus like not to do that anymore. And I think, um, you know, that's something that I'm really excited to hear talked about in the church because like, you know, the world already like gives you zero chances and <laughs> the world already torches you for things that you used to believe, but you've changed your mind on, uh, that you had the mm-hmm. lack of foresight to post on Twitter. Um, but of course those things that they're torching you for are things that they disagree with. Um, but man, like mm-hmm. if Jesus is, is the one who saves, like not giving up on people is, is what we're here to do while still staying strong and blunt mm-hmm. against evil. Yeah. The redemption story is what gives somebody, for instance, with an abortion, a true cleansing of conscience. You just got to love it that Jesus Christ, infinite God, died for your sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no matter how awful 
that sin is. Yeah. He died for that one, and his blood cleanses from that one. And if we say, well, not really, then we're saying, oh, mm -hmm. you're greater than Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. you're, you, you need to be God plus in yeah. order to have a sin yeah. that's so great that he cannot cleanse it. Mm. Yeah, I was um, a couple of weeks ago, went out to Dixon Valley and spoke with a football camp. And some of these kids, like, they grow up in pretty rough environments yeah. and, like, probably think that some of their sins are, like, mm -hmm. just out there. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could never step in, foot in a church. And I read through Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, <laughs> and just, like, told the story of, like, Tamar, Rahab, um, oh, Bathsheba, mm -hmm. and, and Mary, the three women who are mentioned. And, like how like varying their stories were and like these people are, are in Jesus's family line mm. um, and like kind of use that to say like these sins, like Jesus wants you on his team talking yeah. to a football yeah. football team, yeah. especially, but like, yeah, like the whole, all the gospel, mm. all of what Jesus did, like it's good news yeah. and it's what we need to focus on. Even the boring genealogy in Matthew <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, I love what, Paul says to Timothy like 40 times of like, the reason I was saved is to prove that no one is beyond saving. Like mm. the reason I mm. was, you know, I murdered so many Christians and the reason I was saved is to, to bring the news to the Gentiles that no one is beyond salvation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just listening to something where it was talking about um, in Acts, Paul's introduction. Like this guy is supposed to be this like huge, like guy in the faith. And his introduction is this, he doesn't list any of Paul's credentials. All that he tells is Paul, like, persecuting Christians. Hmm. And, like, it's just real. Like, even somebody like that yeah. can be part of God's family, yeah. which is crazy and hard to think about. <laughs> yeah. But it's so much hope. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, it's infinite hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're probably, you know, my, my church history is, is rough. And actually my understanding of the book of Acts is pretty rough, but I don't think it's unfair to say that like I'm saved now because the believers in Jerusalem were convinced to accept Paul to send him on this journey to go preach to the Gentiles. Like they were convinced of his conversion and then they, you know, the exist, the remaining apostles like accepted mm -hmm. him and sent him out and, um, yeah, or there's a, great cloud of witnesses. Yeah. And I think that's another thing with broadly evangelicals. Like sometimes we struggle with connecting ourselves to like church history hmm. because we kind of think, no, that's, that's something for, for the Catholic church or the Lutherans. But like we have just as much claim as being a part of this, this family, this movement that's been going on for years. And I think there's a lot of hope in that as well. Absolutely. Any last thoughts before we move on? Thank you all for doing that. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather, 
trivia quizzes and the sins that you think are too big for God to podcast <laughs> at bloomingdalechurch.org for our closing segment this week it's time for where in the bible is Carmen San Diego uh, I have a couple verses here and you gentlemen will tell us their book chapter and verse references but before we do we have two bets that we need to resolve first three weeks ago we asked how many kids would attend the day camp reunion Bill said 67, Scott said 70, Dan said 57, and I said 48. There were 44. So I won. Uh, so I've got my jelly beans here. And then last mm. week we asked the question, how many gray contact cards would be returned uh, that weekend? Bill said 42, Scott said 45, Dan said 27, Josh said 66. There were 21. So Dan wins this round. He, of course, isn't here. Uh, he is out currently being scouted for the Philadelphia Flyers as their new mascot, Gritty. Uh, so Daniel will receive his prize on his behalf. Oh. Congratulations, Daniel. A cup of jelly beans to you, a cup of jelly beans to me, and a cup of jelly beans to whoever can win. Where in the Bible is Carmen San Diego? Today we are putting a new twist on things in our ongoing war against Bill Calvin's massive pulsing brain. Uh, <laughs> traditionally, our verses are presented in the NIV. <laughs> this is Bill just racking the sides of his head. Um, today, uh, on, uh, instead, we will be reading verses from the message. Uh, so. Message often because it's a paraphrase. It's like this paragraph is verses like ten to. 13. That's correct, which I have built us around. Okay. The good news is uh, uh, these, you know, w w what we read are always uh, sections. Anyway, it's never just one verse. So, sure. yeah. Bill's got a pen. Let's begin. <clears throat> How well God must like you. You don't walk in the ruts of those blind as bats. You don't stand with the good-for-nothings. You don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. Uh, Interesting side note, the church I grew up in, uh, our associate pastor was a lady named Kimberly Crispino. Uh, Kimberly's uncle was Eugene Peterson, the writer of the message. Uh, so I grew up hearing a decent amount of the message. I was never the biggest fan of it, uh, but today, if any of you happen to be, you're going to be in luck. Everybody ready? Mm -hmm. Bill. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Scott. I said Psalm 1, 5 to 8. And Dan. Yule. <laughs> I uh, said Psalm. All right. Well, so that's one point for Daniel. It is Psalm 1, 1 to 3. So that's oh. one point for Daniel, two points for Scott, and three points for Bill. Off to a strong start. Uh, this uh, new twist is clearly working very well. Uh, they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of, the, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Well, and know what passage it is, but I don't know where it is. <laughs> See, I, I think that may be the problem. Is The other one I was like, I don't know if I know what passage this is, but I know where it is. <laughs> this one I know what passage it is, but I don't know where I it is. I quoted in, in, in English, as it were, in the NIV. Daniel, 
Oh, you need a minute? Daniel, welcome to my life. Daniel, I'll go ahead and, show. I'll go ahead and eat a jelly bean <laughs> to buy you some time. I shared an interesting anecdote. Scott, share an interesting anecdote about the message. Um, <laughs> Daniel Ream likes to use it in his sermons. It's not really an interesting anecdote, but it's just the first thing that came to mind that I don't think I've already said. So at Wheaton... I've got one. Go, go for it. All right. The message was a really new... Hotness. New Bible. Yeah. <clears throat> and I wanted one, but I was broke. So I was at the Goodwill store, and there was a brand new one at Goodwill. Somebody must not have liked it and just put it up there. So I went to the... So I thought, oh, right, great. Hardbound. One dollar. Woohoo! So I go to the clerk to pay for it, and the clerk is one of maybe my son's best friend. It's, oh. His name's Brandon Suba. So Brandon sees that and he says, Well, no friend of mine is paying full price for this book. <laughs> I said, Brandon, it's a Bible. <laughs> we can't cheat goodwill. <laughs> a dollar. So, so I I put the dollar there and he gives it back. And we go back and forth like that. And I think, all right. I put the dollar down and I run out of the place. <laughs> so then Brandon comes over to the house later in the day and he puts down change and runs out of my house. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Amazing. That's a good name, too. How you coming, Daniel? I'm definitely That's not sad, right. You're making a sad face. <laughs> I was like forlorn. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll get around to you. Uh, Bill. Romans 8. I'm not sure about the verses. 35 to 37. Uh, Scott. <laughs> I might not be right, but I'm, well, I don't have the same verses, but I'm the same as Bill. Romans 8, 10 to 12. And Daniel. I said Ephesians. All I right. took a shot in the dark. It is Romans 8, 27 to 39. Oh, so, so oh I had those Daniel verses. reels in zero points. Scott with a two and Just Bill like with a three. Uh, we don't yet see things clearly. We are squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us now, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. So at Wheaton... Among the freshman dorms, there's a tradition called raiding, where you basically put on uh, what amounts to uh, maybe you have five or six different stations, and they're like skits or games or, or activities. And so you have like a brother-sister floor. So, you know, maybe once or twice a semester, you raid the other floor, you bring them up, and, the, and then you take them through the, you know, put them into groups, take them through the different games and activities. And so once we had, I want to say it was like... it. One time we did like a Disney-themed one that, Scott, you were pretty heavily involved in, and uh, we did different themes. Once we did a Bible-themed one, which is hysterical because it's Wheaton, but uh, one of our activities was uh, Proverbs from the Message or Jaden Smith Tweets. Uh, and that was the game, was we read you uh, a section of, of words, and you tell us if it's uh, the message, uh, Proverbs 31, or is it a Jaden Smith tweet? It was really, really difficult. <laughs> um, uh, let's get started. Daniel, what do you got? I put down 1 Corinthians. All right. Uh, Scott? I put down 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10. And Bill? 
I put 1 Corinthians 13, 9 to 13. It is 1 Corinthians 13, 12 to 13. Oh, so Scott, again, locking, so in, locking in two points. Uh, Daniel with one and Bill with three. So we are on perfect game alert going into our final <laughs> verse. Mm. Uh, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside and those who were... Uh, apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. <laughs> Sorry. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there, with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. That one was like really weird, weird, <laughs> challenging to read uh, out loud. Um, his climbing mates, his climbing <laughs> companions. Climbing mates. He he taught. He sat down and taught his climbing companions. Um, Scott, what do you got? Matthew five one to four. Matthew five one to four. Uh, Daniel. Matthew five one through five. Okay, and Bill. Matthew 5, 1 to 6. It is Matthew 5, 1 to 4. So all three Woo-hoo. of you get three points. Well, Scott gets Woo-hoo. special I am, points. I am a, shine, Scott gets an extra dark. He gets 30 points. Uh, <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> that I mean, I don't know if, because that's the, that's the obviously the Beatitudes. Yeah, um, I, I, if you had stopped before you did the Beatitudes, I, I thought I might get away with it by only giving the first two Beatitudes. That's incredible. I don't know if I would remember that Matthew 5... Three is when the Beatitudes start. Either way, uh, final score, Bill Calvin with his second perfect game. I think we can say that this twist (laughs) fantastically failed, catastrophically (laughs) failed, the Chernobyl of game twists that I've tried. Uh, Scott, with a pretty good, uh, what, nine? Nine out of a possible 12. That is good. Scoring twos on all and three on the last. And Daniel Wright uh, bringing up a strong game with six out of 12. Six. God bless you, Daniel. Actually, it's five out of 12. I'm <laughs> it's okay. I take back. <laughs> I didn't tell you we were doing this game. You didn't study like they do. Uh, so, uh, Bill, as always, your requisite jelly beans. Thank you. Uh, that <laughs> is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Daniel. Thank, Thank you, Max. Max. Daniel Wright, take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation. The heart of the nation. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. I, I texted Josh last week and I said, Dan Marcello is the real heart of the nation. <laughs> Amen. I can't believe we lived together those, for almost a year days. before the pandemic. I know. We were so free. We were so free. Young and free. Young and frazzled. <laughs> we lived together a long time. We did. As roommates. And they weren't married. <laughs> we weren't married. <laughs> we, were, we were roommates. I'm glad we split and up. They didn't want to get married. Does the name Ocho Cinco mean anything to you? Yeah. Okay. Good old Chad. Good old Chad. He recently boxed.
Okay. Really? Well, Joel has <laughs> Ocho Cinco's car in his shop right now. Against a real boxer? No, against an MMA fighter? Did it go well? He, like, yeah, it was all right. It was, like, not um, scored. So they just fought for three rounds and then called it. But before that, he did a running exhibition where he raced a horse. <laughs> he, he sprinted against a horse. Oh, yeah, Jesse Owens did that, too. And then people were like, and then he's like, nah, next I'm going to box. And people were like, box the horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a sprint, the human wins. In a sprint against a horse? Oh, yeah. But it's got to be a short sprint, like a 50-yard dash or something, because you can just take off faster than a horse. Wow. Mm. So Jesse Owens beat the horse in a sprint. That's crazy. But you get into a mile run, a horse can run a mile under two minutes. So right. a human doesn't have a prayer. Man, I didn't know horses had that bad acceleration. Well, not, not necessarily bad, but... I mean, they're faster they're, than a they're trying to. They're <laughs> trying to move, say... I don't know what a horse weighs, 600 pounds? That, that, that's a lot to get going. Horse yeah. weight. 840 to 2200. 2200? That's I a bet ton. you could beat a horse in a race that's downstairs a... at any distance. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You could fall pretty fast. <laughs> I want to show you this car. crushed you on the way down. <laughs> I read this thing like a day or two ago that was like your tongue. How did it, it phrased this in such an interesting way, but like it's kind of true. It's like your tongue knows what everything feels like. Just look at something and imagine what it would be like to lick it, and your tongue will know. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> it's like try it out, and I like have been. I'm like it's sure. kind of true. Yeah. Okay. Get my chicken out. <laughs> Ever since I've been imagining licking things. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Nancy, my wife Nancy was in an actuator field. Okay. Cool. When she started out, but it requires for property casualty ten tests. Yeah. And her boss, who had a master's in physics from MIT needed 15 years to pass all those tests. Whoa. Yeah. Nancy started out like some superwoman. She passed two tests in like two weeks. <laughs> so people at all say, like, whoa, who is this? Whoa. She passed her third test. And then she started having children and we, she couldn't pass them anymore. Because <laughs> so, her genius so, was transferred. So she into went, Nicole. yeah, that's her. Joel sucked her brains out. <laughs> <laughs> so she went to him and said, you know, I really can't do this anymore. Whoa. Mm -hmm. I either need to, I, this is what I'm asking. I want to drop down to part-time. I want to keep my benefits. And I want to work here, but I'm not taking these tests anymore. And they liked her so much, I said, okay. Wow. And I don't know that he ever had a part-time person in that position before, yeah. but it's like, all right, we'll do that. And so she worked part-time for 18 years until Nicole... Went to college. Nancy Calvin. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's do a sound check. Um, on the on the we'll go around in a circle. Uh, name the last thing you ate. Jelly beans. A beef sandwich with sweet and mozzarella. Wow, was it good? It was delicious. What is sweet? 
Sweet peppers. Sweet with peppers, sweet pepper. He said leave. beef sandwich with sweet. I know. I knew That's ridiculous. I knew what he meant. Usually it's like saying, I, I take I've my coffee with sweet. But I put two and two together and I got three. <laughs> you got sweet peppers well, from the sweet word pepper. sweet. It's I just, did, actually. It's slang that Portillo's used, and I worked there for so long that I just say ah, sweet right. and mots. Well, I'm a Christian, so I ate at Chick-fil-A instead. Oh, okay. Sweets and what? Sweets and mots. Mots. Oh, Mott's. mozzarella? Mozzarella. Mots berry farm. Mozzarella in, a, in an Italian beef. Sandwich. Mm-hmm. Come on, Scott. Keep up. Put two and two together. <laughs> I mean, I know what he's saying. I just didn't. But I like Scott's. I put two and two together and got three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the last thing I ate was a smoothie. Oh, with sweets? Uh, yeah, different sweets. <laughs> <laughs> I had red grapes. Red grapes. Oh. All right. They're amazing. Um, that was not very effective as a sound check because it's like two minutes long. So let's just go around and say the word grapes. 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 <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> rhymes with drapes. Uh, <laughs> grapes rhymes with drapes. Uh, okay. Uh, I think we're looking pretty good. Uh, Dan- Daniel, can you say grapes one more time? Grapes. Oh, that's great. Uh, great. I'm just going to keep doing great puns the whole time. No.